Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Constantly think to yourself, I want to do a little bit more than I said that I was going to do, right? So here's the way you can approach this. I say I'm going to do X, okay? And I could either do less than X, I could do X, or I could do a little bit more than X. It's not so much in, in what it is that we're doing, but the reason why we're doing what we're doing is so that we can reprogram, reprogram our brain the way an elite person's brain would be programmed. And that is to always do a little bit more. To always do a little bit more. If you do a little bit less, you got to get yourself to just do exactly what you said. And then once you do what you said, you got to get yourself to do a little bit more. And it's not necessarily to be obsessive about how much more can I do. But just from the idea that you're not stuck in the constraints of middle class thinking, which is just do enough to get by, just do enough to get it done, and then I'm out of there. Usually elite people are thinking they're not, it's almost like the thought doesn't come into their mind because it's whatever it takes. It's whatever it takes. They're not looking for the next day off. They're not looking for the next hour off. They're doing what they love, you know. Uh, they love the life they live and they live the life they love, you know. So that's really a great way to look at it. Love the life you live, live the life you love, but do it with everything that you have uh, to put into it. Let's see, where do I want to start? Let's start with trust in the power of pursuit in U squared. And then, because I think that the stuff that I have prepared will kind of amplify this a little bit. Now, think from the place of faith here. That's why we're saying the word first. Think from the place of faith. The idea with faith, this is something that, that somebody told me one time I thought was very interesting. Even though we all operate with some degree of faith, faith is really a choice for us. And the degree to the amount of faith that you operate with is a choice. So when you're, when you're taking the idea of faith, you're choosing to believe in something that you can't see. You can't touch it. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't measure it. It's a knowing. It's an internal knowing that there is something that you believe in that is helping you accomplish what you want to accomplish. And uh, like all the great thinkers, all the, all the, the great people uh, throughout history that have done things, they'll either, they'll either tell you it's energy, it's spirit, it's God, it's luck, it's that extra something, uh, but they all agree that there's something else beyond ourselves that is helping this, these two, these two sides kind of meet in the middle. That is the, the thing that you desire and wherever that thing is, and whatever you need to meet in order to accomplish those things. So he says, you've dreamed many dreams that were yours for the taking. In fact, 
almost all of them were within your reach. Even now, most of what you dream can be yours. The simple secret is the seeking, the pursuit. Dreams begin to crystallize into reality when they're pursued. And, and you might highlight that uh, in your own copy of this. He says, the simple secret is the seeking. Everything gets put into motion once we start to pursue that dream. The world behaves differently when you actually take action to go after what you want. What you wish could be starts becoming. The dream moves in your direction. It begins to come to you, even as you reach for it. Now consider this. The dreams you have realized in your life are those which you have actively sought. That which you have achieved is what you've decided to go for in one way or another. You could think positively all day long, all year, but positive action is what counts. Wishing, longing, wanting, desiring, these are not the same as pursuing a dream. These are mental states and can play an important role in the process of becoming you squared, but they're essentially passive. Pursuit, on the other hand, is active. Reaching for your dream is behaving, moving, and it shortens the distance between you and the desired objective. Most people confuse wishing and wanting with pursuing. Their desire for a dream may be desperate and deep, but when that desire fails to produce, they conclude the dream cannot be theirs. Actually, the only proof that they have is that the longing is not enough. The data at hand merely prove the desire alone does not and cannot deliver. Pursuit is what makes the difference. Reaching for what you want alters the odds immediately and drastically of getting it. What you want becomes part of a dynamic, a dynamic exchange with the world and you in partnership. And when you act and extend yourself toward that dream, U squared is firmly based on the premise of pursuit. Quantum leaps require that you take the offensive. You can't achieve exponential gains in your success from, def from a defensive posture. You can't remain in a passive stance and make a quantum leap. You must move on the dream. That means that you must leave the cover of safety that goes with merely wishing for something. You must place your trust in action. Ask, seek, knock, and the dream shall be yours. Now, one of the things that uh, is cool about this, I think, is if you, if you study quite a bit of the actual success of other individuals, you will generally hear a story of pursuit, but you'll hear, hear a story of people running into walls, running into roadblocks, running into mountains of individuals that tell them, no, 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 they can't, they can't have it, can't do it, can't want it, whatever it is. And the people that win are the ones that go past those no's. They're constantly going past the no's. Now, I have found that it's interesting that I don't think that I've ever read a story about somebody who was in pursuit of the dream that did not have this experience, where they just ran into a mountain of, of no's or resistance or denials or however, you know, failures, however you want to 
put it or look at it or, or, or language it. Um, and I've thought about it a lot over the years, and it, keep, it brings me back to, I think, the best book that was ever written on personal responsibility, and that is the original copy of As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Now, there's all different kinds of copies out there these days. There's As a Teenager Thinketh, As a Woman Thinketh, As an Entrepreneur Thinketh. You want to get the original copy, As a Man Thinketh, right? It's written well over 100 years ago at this point. Um, but it's, it, it's still, to, in my opinion, the best book on self-responsibility because the way he articulates this book is fantastic to show you that basically everything that you're creating in your life is of your own creation. And the book, I think, is really summed up um, right in the very front. He's got a little poem right in the very front of the book, and this is what it says. Mind is the master power that molds and makes. And man is mind, and evermore he takes the tool of thought and shaping what he wills, brings forth a thousand joys, a thousand ills. He thinks in secret, and it comes to pass. Environment is but his looking glass. I remember the first time that I read this, uh, probably early, early to mid-90s. I didn't even know what a looking glass was. I had to look it up and find out that it was a mirror. But what he, what he is, the information that he's managed to put into this little poem is actually astounding. So let's think about this. Mind is the power, the mind is the master power that molds and makes. Well, that's what all we've been talking about is mind. The elite mind. How does the mind think? How does the mind operate? What does the mind create? Both in the creation of what we want and the creation of what we don't want. Because that's all the mind does is create. As we learn how to use it, we can guide it and direct it to create more of what we want or more of what we don't want. Um, he said, and man is mind. The human being is mind. We have we have the gift of an intellect. We're the only, we're the only uh, animal on this planet that has the gift of a higher intellect, of higher consciousness. And it means that we get to direct the creative energy. It's interesting, the same creative energy is, is flowing through a squirrel or a moose or a tortoise or a whale or a dandelion, but it can only become what it is. It can't really become something outside of itself. And at best, it can mimic behavior. But it's the same creative power. The difference is, is that we, we have, so one of our intellectual factors is reason. Reason. Reason is what gives us the ability to think. All the other life forms that we're aware of don't have intellectual factors, but we do. They're perceptive factors. Perception is one of those factors, by the way. Reason, will, perception, imagination, intuition. These are all intellectual factors. And it's through the building of those intellectual factors, through the strengthening of them, through the proper direction of them, that we create, we consciously begin to create what we want. Where you find a person living in a world where they're a complete victim, they're 100% assured in their own mind that they're a victim. What you're really observing, the next time you see somebody like that, whether it's on TV or 
in real life or you meet them on a street or wherever you meet a person that, that's like this. They have no consciousness of the fact that they have intellectual factors that if they were exercised and they became aware of them, they could turn their situation around. They just don't know. So in, in, a, in a lot of sense, they're not any different than an animal that doesn't know. The difference is that they're there. They're absolutely there. And a person has to start to link up through cause and effect of observing their own life how those factors are working to create what they want. As a person begins to link that up in their mind through, through the observation of cause and effect, we, get to, we start to then realize like, oh, I really am creating this. Here's what I'm doing to create this. That's another problem. Most people don't understand cause and effect. The, only the cause and effects that they're, that they're currently aware of. Um, but they don't understand it as a law. He says, I did it. I got to find this someday. It's in my library somewhere, or it's in a box that's packed away that, that didn't get unpacked when I moved years ago. I still have a couple of those, like up in the attic or something. I did a program on As a Man Thinketh probably 15 years ago, and I did something really fascinating. And actually, you could do this. There's nothing difficult about it. I took, I took um, a copy of the book. And I took four highlighters, and all I did was flip back and forth through pages, not even looking at the pages, just flipping back and forth. And I would take like a, like a yellow highlighter, and I would highlight 20 sentences randomly throughout the book, then a pink one, then a blue one, then a green one, each, each time highlighting 20 sentences throughout the book, not reading the sentences. Then I would take a pen and number it, right, each one, one through 20. And then I would then I would put them in then I would put the highlighter the, the highlighters in 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 some kind of random order like yellow is one pink is two green is three blue is four. And I began a base and I wrote all this down on a sheet of paper and then I read the book based on how I randomly picked that and the book read as if it was written that way. Every sentence went into the next sentence as if it was written that way. And I actually have this in a binder, um, and I was trying, and the, the purpose of me doing it was that I was, I was, I was teaching a, a class of people, I was doing a mastermind for a bunch of, um, uh, a bunch of my high-end clients, and I was showing them that when you're reading something that's truth, you can't make it false, that it all works out as truth, because truth is truth, and it, it, it's the most bizarre thing that you ever saw because, you know, like the first sentence might be on page one and the second sentence might be 40 pages in and a half a paragraph down and you read it and it actually goes, it actually fits together in the most bizarre freaking way you've ever seen. So if we go to page 26 and as a man think, it's, he says, law, not confusion, is the dominating principle in the universe. Justice, not injustice is the soul and substance of life. Righteousness, not corruption, is the molding and moving, moving force in the spiritual uh, government of the world. This being so, man has but to right himself to find that the universe is right. And during the process of putting himself right, he will find that as he alters his thoughts toward things and other people, things and other people will alter toward him. Now that is just a golden piece of literature 
right there. Because the problem, one of the problems that we face and we have faced through all of humankind is, is the world screwed up? Is the universe screwed up? Is God screwed up? Or is it that I'm screwed up, right? And if you're living in a world where you're seeing that your situation is based on a screwed up world, this challenges that thought. It's saying, no, 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 no. The world is right. Law, not confusion, is the dominating principle in the universe. Now, here's, here's the thing, because here's an argument that I've had presented to me before. They're like, yeah, but when you just because you straighten your life out doesn't mean that anything else is straight in the world. There's still racism. There's still poverty. There's still hunger. There's still disease. There's still evil people hurting other individuals. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% true. But you're not experiencing it. Now, you need to think about that. You need to think about that. Because the only way, my, this is my belief, this is my opinion, take it, you could take it or leave it. The only way out of the problems that we have is the, the observation of more and more people deciding that they're not going to be part of that problem anymore. There's a, there's a great piece, I'll, I have to find it for you, I'm, I'm not sure what book this is in. I'll see if I can find it. Um, but basically what it says is that we will continue to experience a problem as real un until we decide to stop recognizing the problem. Now, you got to think about this for a second, right? We have a big problem with racism going on in our country right now. Not that we haven't had a big problem with racism, but there's, a, there's an issue with it, right? So... Think about it like this for a second. If you took that piece in somebody's brain out that was racist and you just pull it out of their brain and you destroyed it, it would cease to exist. It would cease to exist. We know that that's true. I mean, that makes total logical sense. Doesn't it make logical sense? It makes logical sense. But what actually is happening? We become unaware of something that we're currently aware of. There's poverty in the world. What is like 25 million people a day die or a week die of hunger? I think it's an it's atrocious number. It's like when you look it up, it's, it's a staggering amount of people that die every week of hunger, of starvation around the world. And the reason that it happens is ignorance. It's not that we don't have enough food. It's not that we don't have enough resources. So when we, when we begin to remove the ignorance around something, the only thing that's left is the truth. The only thing that's left is the truth. So here's a, here's a seed of truth for today. Prosperity and poverty are not two things. They're merely two sides of one and the same thing. They are but one power that is rightly or wrongly used. We cannot think of plenty and then worry about unfavorable conditions that may seem to be apparent. Now think about that. Does that not follow the law that James Allen was talking about? It most certainly does. Why does it follow that law? Because we have the power to choose. So we get to experience the law of polarity. We could experience the poverty side of it, or we could experience the wealth side of it. 
All the wealth that's here is free for you to earn, but it depends on what side you're actually going to focus on. Everybody on the planet has the same amount of money available to them. They're just not aware of it. When, you're, when all your experience is being aware of poverty, then what ends up happening? You focus on poverty. It's fascinating. Nature does not differentiate between a seed and a weed and that are a, 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 the seed of a weed and that of a flower. She produces and causes both seeds to grow. The same energy is used for both, and so it is with the mind. The mind creates either good or bad. Your ideas determine which is to be created. Your ideas determine which is to be created, either good or bad, either a, either a seed or a weed, either an opportunity or a roadblock, either poverty or abundance. But you have to insist on what you want to experience. You cannot just leave it up to, I'm just holding this in my mind. And if you're, because if you're running up against what you don't want, your mind is also taking the image of that idea back, right? So you have to insist that the thing that you want to create is what you actually create. So. This is, I told you about, like, uh, I think it was um, You Too Can Be Prosperous. I said that was one of the books that sat on my desk, open to a very, that very specific page for a long period of time. I have another one here where I did the same thing. And this, pro this one was probably the most powerful of any of my resources that I kept uh, available to me. So I constantly was putting this in my mind every single day. And it comes from, I mean, this book has really had it. It's old. It's working with the law. Raymond Hollywell working with the law. And I think if there's any, if there's any little bit of information that I burned into my mind that made a difference, because it, because when you're, when you're making this choice, you have to have a concept that you're, that you're choosing to think about. And this is what he says in this book. True desire represents the urge of life, seeking a fuller expression, and is kept alive by the continuous expectation of its fulfillment. It brings to us the ways and the means for its manifestations. The principle explains that no desire is felt until the supply is ready to appear, and no mind can be conscious of a need or a desire unless the possibility of its fulfillment already exists. Now let's just think about this for a second. True desire represents the urge of life seeking a fuller expression. Well, what is the true desire? The true desire is, is that desire that is welling up inside of you that causes you to want. See, it's the higher expression of ourself that is seeking expression with and through ourselves that causes the desire, and that causes us to want. Everything that we want to be, do, or have in this lifetime is the higher side of ourselves seeking expression with and through. Now, it's the same thing for people that destroy their lives, by the way. The higher side of themselves is seeking expression with and through, but what is the pattern that it flows through that gives it expression in their external world. If I've got corruption in my mind, I've got corruption in my life. 
If I've got confusion in my mind, I've got confusion in my life. If I have hate and judgment and ignorance in my mind, that same higher power, it doesn't judge. It becomes what it flows through. And that's why we have so many different forms of life. It's the same power flowing to and through everything. But it can only become whatever the vessel it's flowing through dictates that it becomes. And we have the power to choose. So we get to choose what it becomes. If we have a thought and a result in our life that we don't like, we can choose to think a different thought. That's why J. Martin Coey said it was the greatest power that a human being has, the, the power to choose. We get to direct it. The true desire represents the urge of life seeking a fuller expression is kept alive by the continuous expectation of its fulfillment. If I ever run into a situation where I'm setting a goal or trying to manifest something and it's appearing to be difficult, one of the first things that I go back to is this statement. Why? Because you have to remember that we're in a physical body, we have five senses. If we're running into difficulty, we're perceiving that difficulty. We're perceiving it. The perception of it alone has the ability to change our mind to a place of like, oh, I can't do this, or maybe I picked the wrong thing, or coming up with some kind of rationalization around why we're having trouble that doesn't actually serve us. So you have to bring yourself back to the truth. If I have this desire, and it's representing the urge of life that's seeking fuller expression with and through me, how do I keep it alive? Well, he tells us, through the continuous expectation of its fulfillment. What did we just read from Price Pritchett in U Squared? He said the pursuit. The pursuit is the continuous expectation of its fulfillment. On an emotional level, it's gratitude. On an emotional level, it's gratitude. I want to be grateful for what I have not yet manifested in a physical form in my life. He then says, it brings to us the ways and the means for its manifestations. Well, that's the how. The ways and the means are the how. It's the people, it's the places, it's the circumstances, it's the situations. It's every single thing that we need for the manifestation of that goal. Then it says, the principle explains this, that no desire is felt until the supply is ready to appear. Now, this is what's, this is what's really amazing. Because when I sit down with an individual, I ask them, what do they want? And if they could tell me what they really desire, I can assure them that the thing that they want is here. It's very close to you. It's here right now. The fact that you're consciously aware of a desire means that you're on the same harmonious vibration of the thing that, of the thing that you actually desire. No desire is felt until the supply is ready to appear. You can't feel it till it's ready to come into your life. No mind can be conscious of a need or a desire unless the possibility of its fulfillment exists. 
You cannot become conscious of it unless the possibility of its fulfillment exists. It must be here. What is, what is the thing that you're looking for right now to help you with your goal? You have to keep telling yourself, it's here. It's here right now. Every day it's here. It's moving toward me. It's coming into my life right now. Because here's the problem. The only thing that's, the only difference is this. What are you focused on during the day? Are you focused on that you don't have it yet? Or are you focused on that it's here? Think about that. How many people we know who sour their lives, who ruin all that is sweet and beautiful by explosive tempers, who destroy their poise of character, who make bad blood? It is a question whether the great majority of people do not ruin their lives and mar their happiness by lack of self-control. Even happiness has to do with how we're controlling our thinking, what, what it is that we're actually focused on. Think here for a moment. Good thoughts, and, good thoughts and actions can never produce bad results. Bad thoughts, bad thoughts and actions can never produce good results. This is but saying that nothing can come from corn but corn and nothing from nettles but nettles. Men understand this law in the natural world and work with it. But few understand it in the mental and moral world, though its operation there is just as simply undeviating. And they therefore do not operate with it. People do not attract what they want, they attract what they are. Now, this is, this is one of James Allen's that I really like. He says, circumstance does not make the man, it reveals him to himself. Now, that's interesting, because if, if you're sitting around, and you're going after something, and you, you have a, we all have a circumstance of whatever right in front of us right now. And we're observing that circumstance through our power of observation. And we're, we're using our reasoning faculty to observe that circumstance. And what are we doing? We're giving meaning to it. The meaning that you give to it is really going to determine what that circumstance does or becomes in your life. Is it permanent? Does it move? Does it go away? Does it just dissolve right in front of you? Does it determine where you're going or what you can do or what you can't do? So the circumstance itself really means nothing. It is in our own observation that we have the issue. What are you actually observing right now? Going back to um, Hollywell, he says, many failures and manifestations are because we do not force our expectation to keep pace with our desire. We do not force our expectation to keep pace with our desire. Very often we desire one thing and expect in our hearts something else. Now, when he says your hearts, think about, you know, the, 
What we refer to as the subconscious mind is the same place the Greeks referred to as the heart of man. When you, when you start to get doubt or fear or worry or anxiety uh, going on inside of yourself, it's an indication that unconsciously you expect something else to happen. Disappointment, right? Any of those. That's when you have to double down on the faith of what the truth is. That the thing that you want is here, and that it's here right now, and that it's coming to you. And you have to stick with that until you actually create the entire manifestation. Very often we desire one thing and expect it in our hearts, which then create, or I'm sorry, let me, let me read that again. Very often we desire one thing and expect in our hearts another, which creates confusion. He goes on to say, the master said, a house divided cannot stand. We create confusion. So it's a constant practice of moving our mind to a place of clarity around what we want. We have to really not tolerate the other thoughts that are going on in our mind. And I think for most people, you have to go through a little bit of a period of being kind of militant with yourself around it in order for that to happen because our minds are very reactive, right? So they're also reacting to everything that's going on in our life. It could be reacting to a picture you have on your wall and you don't even know it. You know, as a matter of fact, that's actually a good exercise to take a look around your, your, your surroundings, your, your work, your home, your office, whatever. And make sure that you don't have anything around you that is unconsciously triggering you in, a, in not a good way. You know, maybe having something somebody gave you that um, uh, is linked to hurt or pain in your life, but you keep it there and you're, for some reason, you're attached to it. You're afraid to get rid of it. Or there's a picture of somebody in the house and for whatever reason, it's a represents a bad relationship or a bad time in your life, but you keep it there out of some sense of obligation. You know, you have to look around. You have to really look around and make sure that you're not surrounding yourself with things that, that really unconsciously put you in a bad vibration. Because here's the, here's the, the deal. It's in, your, it's in your environment. Once you start to get used to it, you don't notice it anymore. You're just, you're that way all the time. So you're not noticing how something's affecting you. It's like if a, a poison gets into your, into your home and you slowly start to get sick over a period of time, you don't recognize it because it's not hitting you just all in one day. It, you're, you're slowly being uh, susceptible to it. He says, you cannot ask too much of the law for it's unlimited and the supply is inexhaustible. You can only get what you can conceive, what you can understand. You can only get the equivalent of what you give. The law does not withhold any more than mathematics withholds its numbers. You may receive some things that appear not good, but yet good may come through them like the mistakes in mathematics. I've had numerous things happen. At, at first, it didn't seem good. And, and then it always proves to be better than it was supposed to be. So that's why we have this saying, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Whenever something goes wrong, you should say, that's good. Something better is going to happen. Something better is coming. 
somebody leaves your life, that's good. Maybe it hurts. That's okay that it hurts. But understanding that the leaving is making room for something better. See, the higher side of ourself is always for more growth, fuller advancement. So whatever leaves, it's time for it to leave. And something else is going to come in to advance your life even more. But you have to experience this. Because if you say to yourself, that's good, when something, would, like say, let's say you lose an employee that really, you know, was a rock star for you, and now you got to go find somebody to replace this person. And you're like, oh, hell, this is, this is horrible, right? You know, I, I got to do extra work now, and where am I going to find somebody? You know, and you go through all that kind of that drama. But if you start off with the idea that that's good, you're moving to the expectation that, that what's going to happen out of this is, is good. It's, it's even better. Now, when it does, you've linked that up in your mind because you're part of the, the, the expectation in that experience. And then you begin to see it happen throughout time in your life. You know? So you know, you, you know that it, it, it becomes the way that you think, like automatically. You literally can change this so that it becomes the way that you think automatically, basically about everything. Now, I'm going to leave you with this one. This will be the last little bit for the day here. In a state of limited understanding, we reason, right, meaning we think, that we must get before we can give. And then we turn and walk in the same mental rut as before uh, by reasoning that we must give before we can get. So, we have this, this experience in our life that if we, don't, we think we don't have anything to give, that we have to get something before we can actually give something. But we hear, based in literature, that you have to give in order to get. So it kind of causes us to bounce back and forth. And if a person doesn't really understand this and kind of write it in their mind, they stay stuck in the same rut as what the author is saying here. They, not, nothing ever really changes. He said, but in the lack of understanding, we continue to leave the getting idea foremost in our thought, and we shut out the spirit of giving. Giving, which is the first fundamental law of life, is the first law of all creation. Now, what he's talking about here is having an attitude of giving. Having an attitude of giving. So you may not be able to, you may be in a situation where uh, you, you don't have whatever it is you think you need to give to someone else or something else to get back what it is that you want. You don't need to be concerned with that because there's a different principle. The principle is whatever you give to the universe will be returned, but generally and not necessarily through the same exchange that you gave it. Now, this is really big because that means if you're literally giving with the intention of giving, not the intention of receiving back, the intention of blessing somebody else's life with anything, with anything, it could be a smile to someone who seems sad, that the universe will send that back to you through some other medium in your life. And it's 100% true. It's 100% true. Think about this. What, do, what are you giving? Where are you giving? Or, and, and, and versus how much you're thinking about receiving or taking. Where are you giving? 
if you remove the idea of, of having to take or get out of your mind and just open your mind up to what can I give, everything that you want to receive will come to you if you stay on the correct path. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.